Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Civity features people who are building relationships to dismantle inequities and strengthen communities grounded in respect and empathy. In this episode, we're talking about Welcoming Week, an annual event put on by the organization Welcoming America to support communities seeking to increase belonging among all members, including immigrants. This year's theme for the September 10th through 19th event is Belonging Begins With Us reminding all of us that we can do our part to help others feel welcome. My guests are Jordan Crumroy, Senior Regional Manager for Welcoming America, and Anthony Salas, Senior Manager of Events and Membership for Welcoming America. So Welcoming America, every year, hosts Welcoming Week. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about why does Welcoming America do this and what do you hope to achieve by having this annual week. So much to to think about and so much to share there. So Welcoming Week actually started almost 10 years ago. Uh, in fact, next year, 2022, will be our 10th year of doing Welcoming Week. So as an organization, it started about three years after the actual organization did. When it started back then, it was, you know, we were a smaller um, organization, smaller group of members, and those members actually kind of came together um, and wanted to find a way to really kind of push the narrative of communities embracing the value of welcoming. And so how do we do this? Um, and so, you know, just through a lot of brainstorming, it kind of came together there. Um, that first year, I think there were about 50 events through about 20 states um, and just kind of started growing from there. One of the statements that was made uh, shortly after that very first welcoming week, which was, our very first um, first ever National Welcoming Week was just the beginning and just a fraction of what we are achieving. It's kind of cool to be able to look back on that now to see where we are now in terms of Welcoming Week. And, you know, it was almost very foreshadowing of what was to come um, because it has grown uh, into such a almost international week. And, you know, so many people look forward to it every year. And the fact that you had 50 events across multiple states the first year showed that there was sort of just an inherent hunger for this type of content and this type of connection. Uh, and yeah, and it seems like you're noticing that. So talk to me a little bit about, I guess, it, by way of that, um, what are your goals for Welcoming Week and what have you seen um, 
what have you seen come from it that sort of is is symbiotic with those goals? One of our goals for Welcoming Week is that it becomes a time when people are intentional about messaging, um, that people are intentional about gathering, that people are intentional about not just inviting people to the table, but creating new tables and even really analyzing what gatherings do we need to have in our community to move the work forward. One of our goals around Welcoming Week is that messages of, of support for immigrants, for people of color, for people who maybe have felt like they don't belong in their community, that, that messages of affirmation are heard and that messages are, are proclaimed. So I think one large part is the messaging. And I think sometimes we tend to undervalue uh, the importance of those messages. I love that. Not just inviting people to the table, but creating new tables. That's a really profound statement. Anthony, is there anything you wanted to add? Something that we observed this year um, that I think maybe does speak a little bit to the goals. Every year before we move into Welcoming Week, we do uh, a launch webinar to kind of bring the event hosts together to talk about the theme for the year and just some of the goals um, like we are talking here. This year we did something that I found very interesting is the members uh, that had joined that call, we asked them, what do you think of when you hear Welcoming Week? It was really interesting to see the responses uh, that came through from that. And I think that does kind of speak to some of the goals that everyone has when they think of it. Uh, we saw terms like belonging, unity, bridges, um, diversity, inviting, like Jordan said, uh, embracing and inclusion. And it was a fast and furious response. But, you know, again, it was just it was amazing to see uh, that people could really quickly kind of share, you know, when I hear Welcoming Week, this is what I think of. And it's all such wonderful, uplifting and positive, you know, and it's it's just a, it's a great moment um, for everyone to kind of really come together uh, and, and build. I would love to hear some specific anecdotes of uh, sort of building on those those connections that have been made between the goals and what's really happening on the ground. Are, are there any stories you can share about specific events or specific community experiences that really think you think highlight the heart and the spirit of Welcoming Week? The brilliance of Welcoming Week is that it looks different in every community. And it really speaks to the fact that there are multiple ways to welcome. There are multiple ways to be excluded. And there are multiple ways to, to embody the spirit of welcoming. For some folks in some places, that's going to look more like changing policies. Um, in other places, it might look like protesting. In other places, it might look like a film screening or um, a dinner discussion or a naturalization ceremony or an art exhibit or a coffee tasting or a soccer tournament. I mean, you can kind of go on and on and on. And that's the beauty of Welcoming Week is that it isn't prescriptive. What we say is we want to create an opportunity for intentionality at the local level to lift up messages uh, of welcome, to create opportunities for people who might not otherwise interact to, to have meaningful interaction at the local level. And then we organizationally want to provide the tools and the amplification for that work. So in past work, I mean, in past years, we, we have seen events that 
range from all the things that I said, you know, from art exhibits to protest. And that's what's really beautiful is when you when you go to the website, you go to welcomingamerica.org, you, you click to Welcoming Week and you, you click uh, to see the events that are happening, you really do see hundreds of different iterations of, of what the work looks like. And at Welcoming America, we focus on policy. We focus on what are the restrictive policies at the local level that, that could be changed. But we also focus on programs. What are the opportunities uh, programmatically, where are the opportunities for, for people to engage? And, and you really see that throughout Welcoming Week, both the focus on the policy side, the programmatic side, and you see it really embodied in, in how local communities do their events and actually what activities they decide to do. It really is beautiful that it is such a, a diverse and varied um, approach because, as you say, everybody you know, exclusion looks different and happens differently. So inclusion must also and does also uh, need to happen differently. Anthony, is there anything you'd like to um, add to this piece of the discussion? Any anecdotes you can think of or anything like that? I think Jordan gave a really great overview of the different types of events that we see. And I mean, I'll just kind of back it up and say that, again, is the beauty of Welcoming Week is um, you know, just the, the spectrum of, of events that we see, which is really just it's, it's amazing to really kind of, you know, when you go to the to our website where we've got this listing where everyone registers their events and you start scrolling through it and you just see all of these wonderfully original things that people are doing. Um, and it's one of the things that we also try to really encourage for a lot of uh, event hosts. Uh, I know I, I have a lot of them that will reach out that maybe this will be their first year uh, that they're doing an event. And they feel like this enormous pressure, you know, to do this amazing, great thing. Um, you know, and the biggest thing that I try to encourage is don't stress it, you know, um, you know, do what you can do. Every, every community, every organization is different and everyone has different levels of bandwidth. Um, so, you know, don't feel like you have to keep it at this high level or do this big, huge thing. Um, sometimes the simplest events are so powerful, um, you know, and I, I've seen pictures of something as simple as a citizenship ceremony, um, where you can just, you see that visual and it is just so powerful, um, or you hear the stories or read the stories from something like that, um, you know, and there's just so much power um, and so much to take away from something simple. So for me, that's one of the biggest things is it doesn't matter what you do, you're still doing it in the spirit of welcoming, of creating that community uh, where everyone is going to feel like they belong, that they are safe, that they make those connections. And it's something that people will take away, not only from just that one week in September, it's going to keep going. You know, you're going to keep building from there. And I think that is, is kind of the magic of it. What have you heard from participants? I, I, I'm, I'm imagining you're talking mostly with the people who are creating the events and planning the events, but, but maybe you're hearing also from participants. But what do you hear from from people? I mean, you mentioned these words, inclusion, belonging, et cetera, about, about their experience putting on the event and how it has manifested beyond. The biggest thing that I've heard so many people say is just simply that it, it's been such an awakening uh, on so many levels of something as simple as, I didn't know we had so many ethnic restaurants in our neighborhood 
or just the fact that there were families from different cultures and backgrounds and living right on my street or just something as simple as that. Just that awareness of longtime residents, um, you know, in a community or in a neighborhood that it's just this light bulb aha moment that happens for them. It's an embrace. It really and truly is. And again, you know, it doesn't end at the end of, of welcoming week. It just keeps going. And, and that to me is the beauty of it. Yeah, absolutely. Jordan, anything you'd like to add about what you've heard from people who've engaged with welcoming week uh, and any anecdotes or stories uh, that, that stood out to you? Yeah. One of the things we hear a lot is that welcoming week is a catalyst for communities that, that folks are able to say, we don't quite know where to start, but we're going to start with welcoming week. And by putting together one, two, three, four events, they, they find folks that are energetic and passionate about moving this work forward. And so for, for a lot of communities, I think welcoming week is the beginning of their journey. It might be for a lot of communities, the first time that an elected official has come out and support. It might be the first time that an elected official is talking with residents that maybe aren't citizens, that aren't constituents, you know, quote unquote. So I think for a lot of communities, what we hear is that this is this is just the beginning and how helpful of the beginning it is. Funny, I just had a, a, a thought about something in talking about kind of reactions to things going back a couple of years to an event that we did where Welcoming America's headquarters is in Decatur, Georgia, so just outside of Atlanta. And we did this event in Decatur uh, with the city of Decatur. It was a festival of you know all different types of food and music and all those types of things. But we had this one uh, exhibit that um, was brought from Kennesaw State University, and it was about the history of immigration in the U.S. Um, and it was a series of kind of pull-up posters, if you will, that each one had just this amazing array of information. And literally, you could stand there and read each one uh, and take a good amount of time to do this. What was so fascinating for me about that in particular was seeing how people did take the time when all of this other activity was happening around them. You know, music was happening. People were running around. Kids were playing. But there was this group of people standing along this sidewalk they were literally standing there for, you know, good 10, 15, 20 minutes reading this and learning and walking away from it and walking to the table where the representatives from the university were and saying, I had no idea, you know? And so it was just kind of watching that was, again, just, just so amazing to see. I'd love to ask um, about who participates because you're trying to engage communities. Generally, you have people who want to be engaged who seek out, and then there are other uh, groups in the community who either are too busy or don't realize that they could engage. So who generally participates in Welcoming Week activities, and what are some audiences that you like to engage or that you feel like you haven't yet reached or, or are um, intentionally targeting? Obviously, we'd love to see everyone um, sure, take sure. part in, <laughs> in an event in some way, but I think, again... You know, we know we have our network members who uh, play a very important role in this, whether they be government member or nonprofit member or what have you. But where I guess it, it really means 
so much is when we see um, other organizations or other communities become aware of Welcoming Week through, you know, a media post or what have you, uh, and express that interest and want to participate. And uh, like Jordan said, it may be something that they're doing for the first time. I think too, where, you know, it's individuals that are not aware of, again, the diversity uh, in their community that want to do something, want to be a part of something so they themselves can, can learn and become a part of that larger community. That's again, where, where the beauty of this is. And welcoming week kind of, I think allows people um, an easy way to participate in that. Um, because again, so many of the events are fun events. They're uplifting events. They're things, you know, where it's, it's, it's something that you want to engage in anyway. And so when we see those individuals or those organizations that engage in this, that may normally not have taken that step, that's what we love seeing, uh, aside from the ones that, you know, we know already engage and, and do these things. You're listening to This Is Civity. I'm Gina Valeria. We're talking about Welcoming Week with Welcoming America organizers Jordan Crumroy and Anthony Salas. Jordan, anything you want to add about groups you'd like to engage or audiences you'd like to engage that maybe aren't engaging yet? Organizationally, we see kind of the whole gamut from YMCAs, libraries, faith institutions, local government, neighborhood associations, chambers of commerce, museums. I mean, the list goes on. It really is an opportunity for all folks to say, we have a role in our community that belonging truly does begin with us. And we are going to take leadership in making sure that the messages and the opportunities that our community members see, you know, are, are truly welcoming. What's really beautiful about Welcoming Week is it brings together people who might not otherwise connect. Um, so we're talking newcomers, longtime residents, old, young, um, veterans. It, it, it really is a week where our, our differences are celebrated uh, and not ignored, where those differences are laid on the table. And because of that, I think people are hungry for opportunities like that because we live in a world where often we try to instead focus on our similarities. And I think that there's a real hunger, especially in the United States right now, for folks to have what makes them who they are, not put on the back burner, but put out in the open, and then for that to be celebrated. And so because of that, the question of who generally is coming to a welcoming week event or who generally puts them on, it's almost impossible to answer because it's not really a specific, there isn't a one size fits all answer. I mean, from Anchorage, Alaska to Atlanta, Georgia, it is, it's a hodgepodge. And isn't that what, what we want? Yes. You mentioned seeking similarities. And even if we are trying to seek difference in our spaces, our digital spaces, uh, the algorithms are going to work us towards similarities, even if we're trying to work against that. And so having an opportunity like this where we can engage across difference, whatever that looks like in your community is, yeah, I can imagine it's really uh, craved. And I think Civity sees that as well. Um, people really want to put difference on the table. People really want to um, figure this out. And um, 
And so it's, it's, yeah, great work. And on that note, on the note of digital and virtual, we've had now, this is the second year in which both your organization and, and mine have had to think about how to do this work virtually um, to a greater extent than we were before because of the ongoing pandemic. Now, I know that certain communities are doing in-person events this year and certain communities aren't, but I'm wondering if you can talk to me a little bit about how Welcoming America adapted itself to a largely virtual uh, approach to putting this event on, or was this an easier lift because you were already working in distance? With last year, um, quite honestly, when we started discussing Welcoming Week, we almost, you know, we toyed with the idea, do we even do this? Uh, you know, what do we do if we do it? How do we adjust? The obvious choice was to pivot to virtual and to, you know, try and go to a more online presence, um, which is kind of what we did. And so last year was, you know, that that initial kind of step into those uncharted waters that, you know, in hindsight was just absolutely amazing. Again, we we didn't really anticipate a big year for Welcoming Week last year. We ended up, I think, with over 300 events that were held, which in comparison to previous years, yes, that's that's a dip. But, I mean, we were thrilled. And, and we kind of set that goal for ourselves that, you know, we're going to be thrilled with, with whatever we see here. Um, some of the adjustments as an organization that we made, too, was Every year, we also put out a toolkit um, to our event hosts and kind of provide them with the resources that they can use um, in putting on their own events. Um, and we really kind of shifted that toolkit to include uh, a lot of virtual components and different platforms you can look into using, um, you know, different aspects of virtual that you can do. We also, you know, took the time to make sure that it included things around the pandemic and preparing, you know, if you're going to do something in person, you know, here are some guidelines, here are things you want to keep in mind, um, you know, social distancing and so on, um, you know, on top of local and regional guidelines as well. Um, so we really tried to kind of, you know, make sure that we were providing again, all of that because we knew there was a lot of nerves, you know, that were being rattled around that and rightfully so. One of the things that we did as an organization was, you know, what are we going to do in terms of our events um, for this year? And again, you know, trying to kind of not go into the on to the in-person event. Um, so we did a shift to virtual. And so what we did was um, we put on a virtual kind of showcase or um, kind of kickoff for, for welcoming week um, last year around the theme of the year, which last year was creating home together. And we put on an hour long presentation. Um, we had performers, we had, you know, singers, dancers, storytellers. Um, we had a huge portion that was, you know, all of our members just sending welcoming messages. And it was such an incredible time, uh, an incredible hour. And I think the most impactful thing from it, uh, at least for me in preparing for it, was I didn't even think about the, the reach that we were going to have with that. You know, we weren't just hitting a local audience. We were 
kind of reaching the world. You know, we, we had that, that full audience there. We've had over, since then, over 5,000 hits to, to the recorded event that people have gone back and revisited this. Even virtually, there was just almost a palpable kind of sense of excitement and energy uh, in watching people engage through the platforms and just, you know, feeding off of what they were seeing and, and, and interacting with. It was magic. It really was. It was, it was incredible. So much so that, you know, as, a, as an organization, we kind of debriefed on it after and we were like, do we do this again? Um, and we are, um, you know, we're doing that again this year. Our theme for this year is belonging begins with us. It's really been amazing to kind of be able to sit back and recenter on, you know, okay, you know, we need to shift and here's what we're going to do and here's how we do it. You know, so it's an organization to do that. It's been really powerful but also to see our members do that as well and make that shift and still continue to keep that level of excitement and energy around Welcoming Week has been amazing. This year, you know, we're seeing a, a mix of, you know, in-person and virtual. And I think that's, you know, kind of going to be the norm going forward, you know, that it's okay to do it virtually if, if it's either easier or, you know, in cases of something like what we're all going through right now. Um, and it can still be, be just as powerful. Yeah, I agree. I noticed, I, just as an aside, I teach uh, at Sonoma State here in California. And my students, you know, first it was just like, oh, God. But now they're like, hey, wait, I like these <laughs> online classes. This is fantastic. <laughs> and um, so it's definitely like, oh, this is another tool in our toolbox that we can keep. Um, so I think people are seeing that across the board. Um, Jordan, I just want to give you an opportunity in case you wanted to add something before we move on to the next. Last year, we were surprised at the amount of testimonies from folks who did welcoming week who said we thought that going virtual was going to be a disaster we actually think it worked better than in person and i think one of the reasons for that is you're able to reach a different audience and for a lot of our members you know it's hard to go outside of your of your bubble and a virtual platform really allows you to do that in a different way. So we are encouraging communities to prioritize safety above all else, to do what, um, you know, at a minimum, follow the CDC guidelines, please, and decide with your community members what feels most appropriate. But by and large, uh, we have heard a lot of really positive feedback from communities that pivoted to virtual and didn't feel like it was less than, but in a lot of cases felt like it brought assets that they didn't even knew could happen. Absolutely. And I think attendance is up at, at city council meetings and things like that because it's easier. So on the note of uh, the theme, belonging begins with us, you have put out a recipe book. And I, first of all, love this idea. To me, the first thing I heard when I found out you were doing that is that food is such a connector. It's a way to share stories and it's a way to really uh, fulfill the sort of foundational goals that Welcoming America and Civity as well have. And so, I, first of all, brilliant, love it. But talk to me a little bit about how this came about and what you hope to achieve with it. We wanted to create something accessible, something fun, where folks could gather ingredients for dishes, but also for conversation and action. I, I moved last year from Georgia to North Carolina and in trying to make friends, I found that my go-to was, Hey, do you want to come over for a drink or do you want to grab dinner? And there's something about that, right? Like the presence of food sets the table 
for conversation, for curiosity. And we have found that those are necessary ingredients for building community, especially when you're trying to build a bridge between folks that have differences that maybe have felt prohibitive to building connection. And so we really saw food as a gateway, as something that we could leverage to be an entry point for folks to do activities, to put on initiatives that would eventually decrease prejudice between between groups. And so, you know, alongside of these recipes are recipes for bridge building opportunities, are recipes for ways to to build connection in their local community. I just love that. Yeah, along with the, like recipes for building community and activities basically that you can do. I just just such a lovely idea. Um do you either of you or both of you have your own stories of how food facilitated belonging? Jordan, you shared that food and drink and I I agree is such a way to connect with new people or to reconnect with friends. Um it's such an entree point. Uh, it, do either of you have any specific stories you would lo- like to share about how food facilitated belonging in your own life? I grew up where you you ate so you didn't die. Food was like a, an afterthought to ensure that you would exist, but it was not a, was not quite more than that. So I manage our work in, in the southern states of the United States. Born and raised in the South, only lived in the South, farthest north is North Carolina, And so when we were thinking about, okay, what does it look like to really ensure that this work can have depth in the South, that this, that welcoming doesn't become something that's, you know, only touted in in San Francisco and and New York and, and, and the large cities, what is our connection point? Where is our relevance? Where is our foothold? I just kept coming back to this concept of food and and found that in my life, food has been in some strange way, this, well, maybe it's just because I love to eat, but it's been this thing that, that, that allows folks to sit down and listen. And it's rare to have opportunities to sit down and listen in a culture where we are running a thousand miles an hour and don't have enough hours in the day. And so there is something about like when you're chewing, you can't talk, or at least you shouldn't be talking when you're chewing, right? Like, and so if you shouldn't be talking, then maybe you're listening. And I think that to me was, it it just food kept standing out as this connection point. And so I had this idea of what if we could make a cookbook that was more than a cookbook, but would actually be accessible. You know, we don't want to create a toolkit. We really want to create something that in the midst of our busy lives has function, not just for meeting our physical needs via food, but also for meeting our, our, our emotional and our spiritual needs through each other. And so that's really kind of how this concept came about. The two aspects that you mentioned there, one is the the role of sitting down and having to listen because you're chewing and but two, you know, your story of food is a story that's powerful in itself, that, that food was survival. Um, you know, I mean, I'm Italian, so food meant something different to me, right? Food was life and, and celebration and, and good. And, and, and for my husband, it's function. But it's an interesting thing because I, everybody's got a story about food, even if it's not my favorite dish, right? Even if it's, um, you know, my mother-in-law had... 11, 10 siblings. She's one of 11 and they had no money. And so you, same thing, food was survival for her. And it was like, it was survival of the fittest basically. And, and everybody's got a story. And, um, 
And I think so in that sense, the recipe book is powerful. And then in the, in the sense that you can use food as a vehicle for delivering ideas to engage. My father was of uh, Mexican heritage. My mother, she's from, from Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, and the two came together, um, you know, and thinking this was back in the 40s, um, you know, when that just, you didn't see that happen. And as the stories, you know, that I heard from my mom, one of the ways that she was able to really kind of start making connections with my father's family was um, through cooking with his grandmother, you know, and learning some of the, the traditional meals and dishes and learning how to say things in Spanish and, um, you know, identify the ingredients or the meals and, and all of those different things. And, um, and then surprising the family by announcing them when she would serve it. It's just amazing to kind of see how, you know, for me, that was a great example of how the, the food and the preparation of the food and the engagement around that really kind of brought them together. And, you know, she was able to cook some great Mexican meals, I'll tell you. <laughs> so Good, that's awesome. <laughs> I benefited from that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yes, and the preparation side of it, just, just great. You're listening to This Is Civity. I'm Gina Valeria. We're talking about Welcoming Week with Welcoming America organizers Jordan Crumroy and Anthony Salas. What are the ingredients you see as making a welcoming community. And I know that it's diverse. And so maybe we've already covered this, but just, you know, we're talking about the recipe book. We're talking about, you know, what ingredients do you think are important to be there for a community to engage in welcoming work or to start down that road? Or what ingredients do you want to cultivate? We have a certification program for communities, uh, for cities and counties. So this is a certification held at the local government pretty good size lift for communities that really want to say, you know, hey, we want to do the work to ensure that we're welcoming, not just in, in word, but that we actually are welcoming indeed. And we, and we want to make sure that we have the policies and the programs in place. And so um, we have uh, what we the standard, which is our guiding document for certification that really outlines what are what are those policies, what are those programs, what are those partnerships at the local level. So that is our north star when it comes to naming the things that make a community welcoming. You know, I think it's important to say that welcoming is not something that can be checked off. Um, welcoming in a lot of ways is never done. It is a continuing thing, you know, in the same way that we might say that of, of kindness or compassion or empathy, that there's always um, a muscle that is a little bit you know, you work on one muscle and then the other muscle starts to atrophy a little and you have to go back and you have to say, okay, we, you know, we need to, we forgot about this thing. We need to really push that thing because, you know, we were so focused over here on, on this. So for us, certification is the best way that we know to really examine the welcoming infrastructure to make sure that that infrastructure is sustainable, to make sure that it goes beyond one or two people that are passionate about this. So I would encourage folks that are interested in, in, in that process um, to check it out, to, to go to Welcoming America and, and click on certification and, and learn more about um, what's required and, and also the benefits of, of certification. 
that to me is the the best thing I know to point toward to say, what does a holistic view of welcoming look like at the local level? Becoming a welcoming community is an act of intentionality. And, and, and at Civity, we also believe in sort of being intentional naming. How do you see Civity as as is enhancing the work that you do or as um, as symbiotic with the work that you do? I think what makes the partnership with Civity so special is that you all provide the tools for individuals and groups to start and sustain these conversations. Reverend Jennifer Bailey of Faith uh, Matters Network always says, relationships move at the speed of trust. Social change moves at the speed of relationships. And I think that's really beautiful. There are multiple ways in which belonging can be ushered in. There's interpersonal belonging, right? Where the rubber really hits the road there is is what conversations are we having and with who? And how are those conversations happening? And is there transformation coming out of those? The other side, I think, of belonging is the structural piece of, of, you know, what are the systemic barriers to belonging? What are the places where we have institutionalized othering? And a lot of that change is going to come by way of, of policy or practice change. So I think where we see civity being so critical is in the way that the work you all are doing is opening doors for both that structural change as well as that interpersonal intergroup change to happen by way of affirming that we have got to create spaces of trust. We've got to create opportunities for relationships. And, you know, I think some some folks might feel like, oh, well, we don't, we don't have time for that. Or, or, you know, we just need to change this thing. And, and, you know, we're going to bulldoze over anybody who gets in our way. And, and I get that frustration. I, I get that sense of urgency 100%. Um, but when you look at history and, and you look at movements that have had sustained real lasting change, people are the center of it all. And we have to be willing to slow down. And I think that's where the work of Civity is, is so meaningful, especially to our members, is providing that ability for them to be strategic in their conversations, for them to build trust, for them to slow down, to build those relationships. Uh, and I think that that's a pretty, a pretty special partnership that we have. Amazing words there, Jordan, but I, I, I will back it up <laughs> with an example that um, I was able to be a part of last year during Welcoming Week, Civity actually um, hosted a discussion um, and uh, we had a number of attendees join. And, you know, to Jordan's point about the power of, you know, simple conversations and connections, over the course of an hour of that time together, that discussion, there were some amazing conversations that were held, truly like gut level, emotional sharing going on. You know, Civity is so, you all are so good at um, creating that safe space for people to be able to do that and uh, showing others how to create those safe spaces so those conversations can be held. Um, because there are some difficult conversations, you know, that, that are being held out there that right now are, there's just so much. 
But I also think this is a time where so many people do want to have those conversations um, and fill that need. And, you know, again, it was just, it was amazing to witness that last year uh, and to see that happen. And again, in the course of an hour, those connections, you know, people saying, can I get your contact info? I want to keep talking with you, you know, and it was just, again, an example of it didn't end when that time was over, it kept going. So I, I credit everyone at Civity because, you know, that that's, uh, that's a special tool to be able to do. And, you know, an example of being able to do that in such a short amount of time is, is pretty amazing. In the spirit of your theme, belonging begins with us. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about strategies for everyday people to practice belonging behaviors in their community or with the people around them. In the cookbook, the Taste of Belonging cookbook, there are examples of organizations that are running programs based on contact theory. Theory that's dates back to the 50s from Dr. Gordon Alport and proposes that face-to-face -face interaction can decrease prejudice between groups. But it's not quite that easy, right? There are um, elements that have to be in place for that prejudice to decrease. We have found that contact theory and programs that embody contact theory are some of the most successful movers that we have seen. And, and so the cookbook has, it's, it starts off within the first few pages, there's a description of contact theory. And it, and it talks about how groups coming together have to have equal status. They have to have a common goal that they're working on. They have to agree to work towards that goal cooperatively. And there has to be institutional support. Those are kind of the four underpinnings of this theory. And it, it, it sounds technical, uh, and it is in, in, in sort of the social psychology way, but there are organizations that are doing programs that meet these things. And there's three examples that are outlined in the cookbook. And what we're finding is that they're changing local communities. We, there's an example from a community garden uh, in, in Knoll, Missouri. There's an example of an organization, One America, that brings together um, faith communities of different faith traditions and, and gets them working on a shared project. So whether that's building a Habitat for Humanity home or doing a neighborhood cleanup or um, you know coming together to paint a youth center, whatever it be. And then at the end of that, of course, there's a meal and a facilitated conversation. But one of the things that we're really seeing that's crucial to moving the needle is not just bringing diverse people together, not just having important conversations, but actually having something physical that people are working on together, having some sort of shared goal. And I'll give you an example. When I moved to my neighborhood, um, I, it was in the middle of COVID, and, you know, you can only sit outside in a beach chair in your driveway for so long trying to meet neighbors before you're, you're just looking too desperate. So I, I started thinking like, okay, what can we do to meet people and, and not create a super spreader event here in our, in our little neighborhood? And one of the things that we noticed was because of COVID, trash collection had slowed down a lot. We have a creek that runs through the neighborhood and there was just trash all throughout this creek. And I am not somebody to organize a trash pickup. I am not somebody to do any of those things that the typical, you know, the folks that, that are really good at that. That's not me. 
But anywho, I ended up organizing a trash neighborhood pickup. We met at a coffee shop. We did the trash pickup. We ended at a brewery. And in that, you know, we had like 40 people come out because everyone's desperate because we're cooped up inside, but everybody had this shared goal of picking up trash. And, you know, we gave awards for the person who finds the nastiest thing, which happened to be a toilet in the creek. But it was really folks working together to, you know, and, and it was it was lighthearted. I mean, you can't be serious when you're pulling a toilet out of a creek. And I think those sorts of opportunities where you're really able to have a shared goal where people aren't mandated to be there, but they have clear expectations. And then you tack that on with some sort of food and some sort of facilitated conversation and some institutional support. I mean, that's that's a recipe for success. And so through the cookbook, what we really tried to do was to, to focus in on what are the critical elements? What are those four things that we see as pivotal to moving the needle? And then what are some examples of this? And then those are interspersed with recipes collected from members um, in the United States and beyond, from immigrants, from US born, from amazing chefs and uh, wannabe amazing chefs. And then of course, Civity is also in there as a resource for communities as well. Anthony, is there anything you'd like to add to that or anything else you'd like to share that I didn't ask that you think it's important for people to know? Something that I, I would like to kind of just touch on that, uh, again, we, we mentioned in a couple of spots, but I definitely want to kind of spotlight a little bit, which is really the theme um, for Welcoming Week this year. Um, every year when you start kind of preparing for this, you're like, what is our theme going to be? What are we going to do here? And this year was actually pretty easy uh, to decide because we had already started a campaign a partnership toward the end of 2020. It's a uh, campaign that the Ad Council developed. A number of organizations are uh, partnering on it, Welcoming America being one, um, also the um, American Immigration Council, their Center uh, for Inclusion and Belonging, uh, we work very closely with on this, and the campaign is Belonging Begins With Us. Want to highlight that uh, because, again, it was a no-brainer, to be honest, of, you know, what is the theme? Because it's just, it's such a compliment to welcoming, you know, belonging, welcoming. It just goes hand in hand. Um, I definitely encourage people to go to the website. They can go to welcomingamerica.org. Um, we have a page dedicated to the, the Belonging Begins With Us campaign, or they can just go to belongingbeginswithus.org uh, to see, you know, all the details on this. I think also the beauty of the theme for this year is that it is a theme that every single person uh, can relate to. Welcoming, you know, as important as it is, not all of us know what it's like to come to the U.S., uh, as a new citizen uh, into a, a, a neighborhood, into a community. But every single one of us knows what it feels like to feel like you just don't belong with people, with a community. I mean, we all have had that feeling, um, that uncomfortable feeling of not belonging. And so that is what this campaign is really about, is recognizing that and providing the resources the knowledge, the education, the tools to ensure that no one has to feel that way. There are things that we can do as individuals to help others feel like they do belong. 
And so that's really what we're trying to hit uh, with this year and the theme. And um, again, I, I invite everyone to, to please take some time and go to the website and learn more about it. Um, it's a great way to start engaging in welcoming and belonging and becoming a part of welcoming week. I can't help but think this year's welcoming week, the timing, it, it's coming a month after tens of thousands of Afghans have been evacuated to the United States, let alone to other countries. And I just keep thinking like, can you imagine you, you fled for your life, evacuated to a new country and a month after you arrive, your community spends a week uplifting the value of you, of, of welcoming you and proclaiming that you belong. I mean, that's our vision. That's our wildest dream. And it's happening this year in communities across the globe. And so I think, you know, Welcoming Week is our opportunity to stand on the mountaintops or the, the steps of City Hall, as it may be, and, and really proclaim that no matter where you come from, you're welcome, you're welcome here. And for those that hear that message, that is an invitation, I hope, to be fully seen and celebrated. And, and that just feels especially critical this year. Thank you to my guests, Jordan Crumroy and Anthony Salas from Welcoming America. Welcoming Week this year is September 10th through 19th. And the theme is Belonging Begins With Us. For more information about Welcoming Week and all of the events you can check out, go to welcomingamerica.org or belongingbeginswithus.org. This is Civity features people who are building relationships to dismantle inequities and strengthen communities grounded in respect and empathy. Civity's theme song is Common Ground, performed by Tommy Castro and the Painkillers written by Tommy Castro and Kevin Bowe and used courtesy of Alligator Records and Dangerous Entertainment. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening to This Is Civity. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.